0: Chapter 10 Set Clear Boundaries If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Attributed to many sources, including Abraham Lincoln. Too often an illness, a life catastrophe or a world event becomes the catalyst for creating clear personal boundaries around our time and energy. Treating our life as a gift requires that we recognize not only that life itself is precious, but that each of us is worthy to live it. We have the right to keep ourselves safe from what steals our energy away. It is not only a right, but an obligation if we want to live as fully and purposefully as we are meant to live. I think it's time for a conspiracy of gentleness. World events have brought us to a deeper consciousness of how fragile and precious life is, inspiring us to protect and nurture our quality of life. This awareness is also one of the gifts an energy illness brings. Energy becomes as precious as water in the desert. We cannot afford to waste a single drop. A fierce protectiveness arises as we are forced to recognize the things that drain our energy. I'm sad that it took an illness for me to have an excuse to slow down into mindfulness. Please recognize that you don't need to be sick to get better. You don't need an excuse to become the architect of your own life, only the awareness that your life is your own, and that you deserve to live it well. Yes, I am full of the righteousness of a new convert to self-care. I just feel so incredibly better when I keep my pace of grace. I'm continually humbled by the nascent self-discipline that protects me like a highly paid bodyguard whose warnings I dare not ignore. Whenever I rationalize that I'm feeling so much better, can't I just and spend a day overdoing or have one too many quickies instead of the full 45 minutes my body needs for rest or wait until I get tired to rest. The cost is more than I'm willing to pay. I scuttle back instead inside the safety of my guardian's arms. Because I have been consistently living for six years within the boundaries of the 10 rules for health, my body now amazes me with its resilience. I can have a day without an actual nap and get back on track the next day, only to find that my cup of energy refills quickly once I reestablish my regular routine. Setting clear boundaries is the third strategy of the Virtues Project. It is about protecting our children, our health, our time, and our dignity. The fifth rule for health presented earlier suggested a number of different boundaries. Rule five, pace yourself. You have four hours a day for work sometimes six. Choose carefully. Keep your correspondence current. Enjoy. Enjoy. When I unwrapped this rule, I saw that it contained five distinct ways to practice the virtue of moderation. Number one, establish a gentle pace. Set your own pace for the day. Do not allow others to determine how you Will spend your energy number two determine how many hours you can be productive set boundaries around the time of your day that you can control you will discover an abundance of free time you didn't know you had number three choose your activities for the day carefully remember that you are responsible for the things to which you say yes. Number four, keep up with correspondence. Stay on top of emails, mail and bills. More on this in the last chapter, plan for grace. And number five, enjoy yourself. Set boundaries around your time and energy so that you are basically doing what you find life-giving and enjoyable. I realized that only by setting firm boundaries could I make it possible for this revolutionary shift to occur in my life. This meant I would need to hone my virtue of assertiveness. Set a sustainable pace. Over the years, as a physiotherapist and organizational consultant, I have companioned hundreds of people and found that most of them, even the most powerful and highly respected, don't feel deserving of boundaries. The virtue of assertiveness does not come easy, yet the price we pay for living without sustainable boundaries is simply too high. In Japan, there is an ex- dream example of this in the growing phenomenon of men dropping dead in their tracks. It's called salaryman disease. These are individuals in their 40s and 50s who work such long hours for so long that their bodies literally wear out and their hearts break. The work ethic in Japan is inhumane. Younger people are now starting starting highly successful businesses there and keeping more moderate hours, demonstrating that it is indeed time for a pace of grace. Other dangers lurk in living without conscious boundaries. If we give too much of our time to work, we lose the quality of our relationships, and often we lose them altogether. If we overspend our energy, we lose our health. If we scatter our energies responding to people's demands, we may lose the God-given opportunity waiting patiently for us to notice. Discover your natural boundaries Learning to pace myself and set clear boundaries meant first of all observing which activities drained me. In the early days of the heavy fatigue that post-polio brought, I discovered that there was one activity that drained me more than any other. To my surprise, it was talking on the phone. One long phone call would literally cost me a full day, overcome by fatigue after the call. I would have to cancel my plans for the rest of the day and go do nothing but lie on the couch, read and doze. I had absolutely no choice. This was terribly depressing, and disconcerting, especially when I had a deadline to complete an article or an outing scheduled with my husband. I decided to set phone hours to protect my rest periods. I used my home answering machine more often, and my assistant at the time screened all my business calls. She would email me a day... daily list of calls including how she had responded or noting which I should respond to personally. I would do so within the hour per day I allotted for calls. I encouraged clients and friends to email rather than call as well, allowing me the freedom to answer as I had time and energy to do so. Even my sons learned to schedule calls with me when I was free to talk, and I could give them my full attention. Cultivating your assertiveness to set clear boundaries places you at the helm of your life, rather than tossing you about in the sea of whatever happens. It allows you to manage your time, protect your health, make your family life more harmonious, and live by your true calling. Boundaries safeguard your joy. The Virtue of Assertiveness. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And not one of them shall fall on the ground without God's notice. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Do not worry, you are worth more than many sparrows. That's Matthew 10, 29 to 30. Being assertive means being positive and confident. Assertiveness begins by being aware that we are people. Sorry. Assertiveness begins by being aware that we are worthy people. We have our own very special gifts. When we are assertive, We think for ourselves and express our own ideas, opinions, and talents. We make a difference in the world in our own unique ways. We know what we stand for and what we will not stand for. We refuse to be passive and have no need to be aggressive. We set clear boundaries in our lives. Signs of Success I am practicing assertiveness when I think for myself and stand up for what I believe, share my own ideas and feelings with others, have no need to be either passive or aggressive, choose not to allow others to lead me into trouble, expect respect at all times, ask for what I want, have clear limits that protect my energy, my health, and my choices. The affirmations, I am assertive. I think for myself and do what feel I feel is right. I have clear boundaries. I tell the truth about what is just. I am my own leader. Resist telephone tyranny. You don't have to have an energy disease for the telephone to exhaust you. Without assertive time management, the telephone is one of the most time-consuming, draining, and wasteful implements in the world. If we keep going the way we are, future generations will be born with an electronic ear implant. With the advent of the cell phone, which we carry everywhere we are never out of reach of the demands others make on our time. Isn't it time for us to reclaim our right to silence, giving us time to concentrate on a project that requires our full attention? In an office where I once worked, the telephone rang so incessantly, we had the expression, workus interruptus. We were terribly unproductive because the telephone always took precedence. Allowing that to happen is a very ineffective choice. It has now come to the point where our privacy is severely threatened. A young woman in her teens complained to me once that she was being harassed by her boyfriend who called her cell phone dozens of times a day to check on her whereabouts. But when she wasn't when she wasn't with him. We had a talk about personal boundaries. Because she still wanted to be in the relationship at this point, she decided to tell him If you want to be in my life, you must respect my privacy. It's your choice. Of course she had to be willing to let him go for this boundary to mean anything. When you set a boundary, it is only real. If you say what you mean and mean what you say. I recall a petite woman in her 40s who confessed at a Virtues Project workshop in Arizona that she was tyrannized by the telephone and was very challenged by the Third Virtue's strategy to set clear boundaries. She admitted to the group that she felt incapable of saying no And that the biggest burden in her life was the time she spent listening to friends complain on the phone, literally hours each day. I just can't reject them, she said tearfully, but they're driving me crazy. We companioned her to help her get to the heart of the matter, which was the fear of losing friends and of incurring their resentment as well as a fear of being selfish, until she discerned that her own freedom and peace of mind were actually more important to her. She was then able to come up with a boundary that she felt comfortable for her and assertive words she could use when none of these friends called. One, sorry. She committed to setting a boundary of talking no more than 10 minutes at a time on the phone and her assertive statement was, Alicia, before you tell me what this call is about, I need to let you know I have a new personal rule that I will only spend 10 minutes on any phone conversation. I'm getting lots more done these days. Now, what were you going to tell me about? She set a timer for 10 minutes and when it rang, she said, I need to go now, Alicia. She would then give her friend a virtuous acknowledgement, such as, I admire your patience in dealing with your son. Then she would simply say, thanks for calling and hang up. I saw her a few weeks later at a conference. She was radiant and seemed taller somehow. She waved wildly from across the room and made our way toward each other. Linda, I'm so happy. My life is just fantastic since I started setting boundaries. I don't let anyone disrespect my time anymore. I'm free. My friends think it's a great idea and they're starting to set boundaries too. Having said this, I want to acknowledge the fact that for many women isolated at home with children, the phone is their lifeline of sanity and support. It is almost certain that the minute the phone rings, a baby will start to whimper, a toddler will desperately need a drink now, or a teenager will have a dire emergency. This is a sign that the phone is being used excessively. If There is a routine to a parent's call. Children are far better able to adapt to it. You can leave a message on an answering machine about best times to reach me, or answer briefly and call a person back. Life will work out far better if you decide when to answer and when to give total focused attention to your children. Are you an E-type personality? Earlier I mentioned the E-type personality, someone who tries to be everything to everyone. If you fit this category, you must take steps to detach from the need to please. One way to do this is to realize that you are worthy of setting limits. I think one of the biggest challenges for us E-types is that from time, from the time we were young, we didn't want to miss anything. We must heal the fear of losing our place if we refuse an opportunity. We must become more discerning about what we choose to do or not do. The cost of failing to do so is high. We will lose our health and spend our precious life doing things we wonder how we got into in the first place. In my world travels, I've met many people of capacity who are like magnets for responsibility in their workplaces and communities. Because they do things with excellence and are outstanding at completing responsibilities, everyone thinks of them first when a job needs doing or a committee is formed. Often these natural leaders become overburdened. When I companion them about their stress level and ask them what they're doing for self care, they say things like, I finally took a holiday, but I got sick. I believe that is one of the symptoms of the E-type personality and comes from an addiction to approval and a compulsion to be important. They appear to be selfless, but I believe that this is a cover-up for the kind of selfishness, a hogging of responsibility based on the fear of losing one's special place as the one who can do it all. It is a self-indulgent and self-destructive No one is that important. I speak from experience. Choose quality of life. Chad, a gifted teacher I met at a Virtues Project Educators Conference in Western Australia, shared his story with me about a boundary he had set to increase his quality of life. He made a choice at 35 to leave business and go into teaching. He loved it. As he became known for his leadership skills and trustworthiness, he began to be overwhelmed by extracurricular activities. Once they know you're good at something, he said, they pile everything onto you. Chad finally decided he had to leave his beloved profession or he would collapse. It got so bad... I left and went back to business. That stressed me out so much, I decided to take up yoga. His yoga practice allowed him to centre and calm himself. He realised he was miserable being away from teaching, so he went back. However, this time, he was unwilling to go back to an insatiable schedule. He summoned his courage and set some boundaries. He now has a vital teaching career and two extracurricular activities at any given time. Now I'm clear. I go home at 5.15 no matter what. I don't take on the world anymore. He puts all his responsibilities aside before he leaves school and is able to be truly present to his family. Chad is a very happy man with a balanced life. Have faith in the fact that you are valuable and worthy, deserving of a pace of grace in your life. Once that shift in awareness occurs, you are free to observe and discern where your limits need to be and you have the determination to set clear boundaries around your time and energy in your work And with your family and friends. What is your yes? Do you realize that if you say yes to everything, you may be saying no to God, to your true calling? At each stage in life, we have a sacred task. It may not be what you expected or even wanted, but it is ours. It may have to do with seeking our life partner, nurturing a marriage, raising a child, discovering our life service, or establishing a new standard of excellence in our profession. It may be breaking a cycle of addiction or abuse in our family. In his groundbreaking work, soul craft, Bill Plotkin presents a model of the life of the soul that delineates each phase of life from birth to elderhood as the soul tasks that accompany each stage. We need to cultivate specific virtues at each stage. At times, we need the virtues of purposefulness and determination. At others, gentleness and detachment. Each of us is here for a purpose, and it is our sacred obligation to become mindful enough to discern it. An elderly friend of mine suffering with severe rheumatoid arthritis gave me one of the most valuable lessons in my life. When I asked her, How are you doing these days, Marguerite? Her face lit up in a radiant smile, and she said, I'm learning to say yes, too. She went on to say she was choosing carefully how she was willing to spend her life with prayerful discernment about how she was called to balance prayer, work, and play. She had taken up painting and was gently working away at a self-portrait. I saw this as an act of true courage in Marguerite, who is a member of a religious order that highly values diligent work and selfless service. What a model she is for me of the virtues of detachment, acceptance, joyfulness, and yes, assertiveness. Patricia is another woman I greatly admire who is in her late 70s when she first attended a Virtues Project workshop. She promoted the project for years in her own international work on peace building with children and youth. She is one of the most gracious, elegant, and beautiful women I have ever known. Dan calls her a woman of class. During one of our visits, she told me she was preparing for her next stage of life, knowing at the age of 83, it would likely be her last. She was mustering the courage to give up the many services she had done for years for her local community in order to focus her attention on composing peace music, as well as working with youth for peace at an international level. As she spoke of music, her face lit up. As she spoke of her many duties she was struggling to pry herself away from, and the fact that people still called her for everything, her brow was furrowed. I pointed this out to her, and she laughed. We talked about the fact that if she continued to say yes to the many requests she received to help, she would be saying no to her heart's true work, to leave her music as a legacy. Composition requires contemplative time, free time unencumbered by interruptions. I urged her to come up with a simple phrase she could use to tactfully turn down the constant requests people made on her time. It took her a few days to come up with it. You know, I would love to support you in this, but I'm quite involved at the moment. No need to explain or justify, just a simple statement. She was delighted by this life-changing decision to assert her boundaries. If it be thy pleasure... Make me to grow as a tender herb in the mountains of thy grace, that the gentle winds of thy will may stir me up and bend me into conformity with thy pleasure, in such wise that my movement and my stillness may be wholly directed by thee prophet and founder of the Baha'i Faith, from prayers and meditations. Don't miss your divine opportunities. There are many good books on time management. I believe we can take any method and make it work, but first we must take ownership of our time, for it is ours. Or perhaps it is God's in light of our being here for a purpose. Our creator knows our unique gifts and has created us to serve in special ways in this brief span of time. While traveling in Iran, I heard a story of a man who went to a prophet and offered him his life. The prophet said to him, go to this city and open a shop. The man immediately travelled there with great anticipation that he would be able to render a service to his lord. He became a rug merchant. For years he simply sold rugs, made a decent living, and of course began to wonder what it was all for. Ten years after he had opened his shop, a man was being chased through the streets by guards shouting at him to surrender. He tossed a document rolled into a scroll into the rug shop and raced down the alley. The shopkeeper immediately hid the scroll and later opened it. It was an illumined tablet written in the hand of the prophet, contained precious guidance for his followers. The rug merchant was full of joy that he had the privilege of guarding this tablet, until a messenger came for it. I never want to miss my true assignment because I'm too busy doing other things. I have a deep desire to be pleasing to God and to play the part that I am meant to play on this earth. Even as a child, I never wanted to miss anything. I once heard Ruhai Rabani, a leader in the Baha'i faith, speak at a conference in St. Louis on his, on this theme, Louis, sorry, St. Louis. And my apologies for butchering that name. I'm not even gonna try it. Continuing. To paraphrase what she said, I'm not worried about getting to heaven. I live a fairly decent life. I'm not worried about my sins of commission. God is kind and forgiving. It is my sins of omission that worry me. What opportunities has God placed in my path that I have missed? I once spent an entire day in prayer to discern what to do about my work situation. I was feeling pulled apart by my work at the hospice with the dying and their families, which I loved, and the emerging work of the Virtues Project, which served communities. As I meditated in the meadow around our home, I heard, you will be offered a new job. You're not to take it. I have other things for you to do. I was puzzled because my problem involved two jobs I already had. The next day, the chairman of the hospice board asked me to lunch and offered me the post of executive director. Before I could catch myself, I blurted out, No, he was naturally shocked. Linda, you haven't even heard our offer. I replied, I feel really honoured that you're offering this job to me. Thank you, but I can't accept. I have other things to do. What could you possibly do that would be more of a difference? Make more of a difference, he said. The Virtues Project. Oh, he said, that will never fly. Since then, the project has flown me around the world, and he has offered... eat his words cultivate the gift of your assertiveness to protect our time and energy with clear boundaries requires the virtue of assertiveness it's one of the most challenging virtues to practice because we've been trained to avoid confrontation and many of us have that 12-step programs such as alcoholics anonymous call the disease to please. Assertiveness is the virtue that helps us establish what we will stand for and what we will not stand for. It is an attitude expressing truthfulness and justice. It allows us to clear draining activities from our lives and to detach from people who are energy vampires. Sometimes this person may be a close relative, it may be our own child, if the child has special needs or is very demanding. It may be a needy friend who leans too heavily, or a re- an unreasonable boss. It may be your mother. I recall the story of a guilt-addicted mother who gave her son the gift of two shirts, You don't like the shirts? Aren't you going to try them on? She asked as soon as he had opened them. Uh, sure, mom. He put on the first shirt. She said, you didn't like the other one? If you feel caught, helpless, or overwhelmed by an energy draining relationship, you may not realize it, but you have ample choices about how to respond. You can't always and may not wish to divorce ourselves from close friends or family who drain us, but we can set boundaries around how and when we spend time with them. The first step in taking what your boundaries, starting that sentence again, the first step in deciding what your boundaries need to be is to detach, to step back, and take the time to think about what you need to protect your energy and keep the relationship harmonious. Being assertive helps us, both, being assertive helps us avoid both aggression and passivity. It doesn't mean being selfish and pushy. It's having the self-confidence to tell the truth about what is just, to say what we think and ask for what we need. The key to effectively practicing assertiveness is to balance it with tact. Once we step back and discern the basic lines we intend to draw, we then need to find tactful yet truthful words to say. With some people, Words just get us more enmeshed in problems, and simple action is what we need. You cannot control what others do, but you can control what you do. Here are a few assertive statements you may find useful. I'm quite involved right now, thanks for asking. My schedule is full at the moment. Please ask me again, only if you want them to. I'd love to talk, but I only have a few minutes. How can I help? It would be great to see you, but I'm sticking close to home these days, needing a lot of quiet time. I appreciate your asking. I've already contributed my quota to charities this year. Good luck with your campaign. Mom, my life is really full right now, so I can't spend much sm- as much time with you as I have been. I'll be visiting once a month, and I'll call you every week. I'd be happy to help you with this new project. Which of my other jobs would you like me to put back on on the back burner? Let me give it some thought. I'll think it over and let you know. I'll give it careful consideration. The last three phrases are particularly helpful in responding to children and requests and demands. Assertiveness is essential in parenting. When we appease our children by complying with their demands in the moment, promising something later, cannot fulfill. We destroy their trust and model dishonesty. I'm going to read that sentence again. When we appease our children by complying with their demands in the moment, promising something later we cannot fulfill, we destroy their trust and model dishonesty. We're teaching them to lie to avoid confrontation. Peace at any price is very expensive. It costs us our integrity and robs our children of trust. Be sure to be trustworthy as well as assertive. And after you've thought it over, let them know what you've decided. Make family life harmonious. Boundaries are essential to prevent conflict and create harmonious Atmosphere in Family Life Using the tactful, loving, assertive language of virtues to appreciate each other often and firmly calling for the virtues that are needed when a correction is necessary gives everyone a sense of safety. A family without boundaries is like a leaderless group, chaotic and confusing. Children feel safe when boundaries are clear. Without them, they get into constant wrangling and fighting. In the area of discipline, many parents are called what I call many parents are what I call sliders. They slide from being too permissive most of the time to blowing up and losing their temper when a child goes too far. Developing four or five ground rules that everyone agrees to abide by can transform family life into a relative haven of peace. One of my ground rules when my three grandchildren and I are together is that they only use peaceful language, even when they're angry or frustrated. We encourage the honest expression of feelings in our family. English is a rich language and we can choose many ways to express feelings that don't include cursing. The first time I recognized the need for this boundary was when I was supervising them in a swimming race across a resort pool where we were vacationing. They had chosen floats and were kicking their way across the pool. One of my granddaughters had chosen small floats that keep sinking And she was lagging behind. Suddenly, out of her mouth came a string of expletives, expletives fit for the proverbial sailor. I immediately ordered her out of the pool, wrapped her in a towel, and said, Darling, God gave you your tongue for beauty, not to say ugly words. I want you to think about that for a few minutes. She began to pout. I added, when those few minutes are up, you will tell me three ways you could have expressed exactly what you were feeling using clean words. She perked right up, tapping her chin with her finger and began thinking. I could have said, I feel mad inside. That's one. I don't like this float. it's not working, and this isn't fair, can we start over? Excellent, I said. Those are all respectful ways to use language when you feel frustrated. The race was restarted with equal support for each child. This was an example of restorative justice, where a consequence is given that restores respect, or justice, or unity. Just punishing a child builds up resentment. The goal of this approach is to restore the virtue that was missing and to restore the offender back to the family or the classroom or the community. Later, we were playing golf in a grassy area full of tufts using miniature plastic clubs belonging to my grandson. The children laughed hysterically as I hit the ball about half an inch. Stupid grass, I said, hoping for more laughs. Instead, my granddaughter pulled me by the arm and said, Grandma, sit over here, please. Use your tongue beautifully. Three other things to say, please. Whether you are single and sharing a place with roommates or married with children, you are in a community. If you want life there to be harmonious sit down and decide on a few ground rules together that will make life run smoothly using positive language what you do rather what you do want rather than what you don't want and adding virtues especially when children are involved work well for example this house is a peace zone we speak Act and treat each other's things with respect. Here are some other guidelines for effective family ground rules. Short and sweet, brief and positively worded. Moderate, just three to five rules. Virtues based, include virtues words. Include ways to make amends. agree on, and clearly communicated. Protect your family time. We live in an increasingly stressful work culture in which the workload keeps expanding while the workforce keeps shrinking. As companies downsize to cut costs, competition for jobs has us racing to keep up. In the midst of survival pressure, how can we protect our personal time? How do we meet our spiritual craving for solitude and also have better quality time with our children, our friends, and our intimates? Virginia Satir, an esteemed Canadian family therapy specialist, was one of my models. Her book, Play Make People Making had a profound influence on my thinking, as my approach as a therapist, and my own family life. She wrote of a concept called family engineering, in which each person in the family schedules time alone with each other person in the family, along with the entire family as well. Think of the intimacy that you have experienced when you have spent special focused time with your mate or one of your children. If we're too busy to consider engineering our time in this way, then we are too busy. Loving moments sitting on the side of a child's bed, sitting in front of a fire with your partner, going out for an intimate dinner, going fishing with a child. These are the memories that matter. This is what builds sustainable intimacy. It's one of the most important uses of boundary. These moments won't happen unless we make time and space for them to happen. On a flight from Singapore to Kuala Lumpur, I learned more about protecting our pace of grace from my seatmate Nazir, a salesman from India. We struck up a conversation and he enthusiastically shared stories of his wheeling and dealing with clients. I found his confident manner and success rate in landing new distribution deals intriguing. At one point, I asked him how the constant travel affected his young family. His expression softened as he spoke tenderly of his wife and children. He had two ways of practicing assertiveness that allowed him to be very successful and at the same time balanced his career with a pace of grace in his family. First, he used his travel time extremely efficiently and assertively, when he's scouting out new clients. He would first use the old use the phone to cold call the president of or CEO of a company, telling the secretary or gatekeeper he only needed ten minutes of the CEO's time. He told them he had flown from India to open new distribution channels, had three days for all meetings, and said, I can meet with you Monday. If they hesitate or say, my calendar is booked Monday, that won't work for me, he would say, that's up to you. I can give the opportunity to ABC Company instead. Most invariably, he would get his appointment. One CEO chose to open her office on a Sunday, spent three hours with him, and signed a contract before he left. His confidence that he had something of value to offer and his assertiveness about the value of his time generated great success. A second practice of assertive boundaries is that his family time is sacrosanct. That's split on two two lines. He never works after 5 p.m. I leave the office at the office. He also turns off his cell phone. I never answer my cell phone when I am with my family. My staff knows that if something is urgent, they can leave me a message on our home answering machine and I will deal with it when I choose. His weekends and family holiday are protected as well. No one will die if they don't hear from me and I'm having fun with my family. That is far more important. My children and my wife know they can count on that time. Balancing the virtues. While it is essential to protect the time and energy you spend with your family, it is also essential that you protect yourself within your intimate relationships. A balanced life also requires solitude Time to replenish yourself away from your loved ones. Time with friends who support you and see you. In our closest relationships, we must balance togetherness with separateness. Care for others with self-care. Our relationships with our intimates can be the most challenging areas in which to set boundaries. It actually says arenas. Our relationships with our intimates can be the most challenging arenas in which to set boundaries that keep them resilient, abiding and above all safe. Our intimates can be our most loving mentors or our worst tormentors, depending on the way we use power and control with each other and basically the extent to which we respect each other's ways of being. Sacrifice is often called for, but it must never include the sacrifice of our sense of self. One of my dear friends, a craggy, charming Scotswoman, with whom I've gone on retreat for many years, describes a deeply private sense of herself that she has never allowed marriage or six children or a challenging life working in the family business to steal from her. It is my innermost self, a tender green shoot in the center of my being. The Maori have a word for personal power, which also means the spirit of a person or a people. It is mana, M-A-N-A. I remember a Maori friend telling a woman who was continually having problems at work and in any group she joined, set your boundaries, don't give away your mana. I've discovered over the years that the personal spiritual practices of the virtues almost always need to be in balance. That to stand on our holy ground requires us to put one foot in one virtue and one foot in another. For example, forgiveness and justice are balancing virtues. If you go on forgiving someone and allowing them to continually hurt you, that is not just, and it does not serve either of you. Tact and truthfulness go together, as do determination and discernment, helpfulness to others, and assertiveness to seek help when we need it. Setting boundaries in our most intimate relationships is having one foot in assertiveness and the other in acceptance. Without acceptance of the things we cannot change about one one another, assertiveness becomes rigidity Without assertiveness, acceptance gives us no stopping place, no solid sense of what is acceptable and what is not. Spiritual and emotional abuse, as well as physical abuse, exist in many relationships in which these two virtues are out of balance. Your time Is property that belongs to the Lord, and if you do not make good use of it, you shall be held accountable. Brigham Young, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Stop in the name of love. Genuine boundaries require a shift in our spirit. A resolve that this has to stop. A decision that a relationship must change or go out of our lives is a huge one. In the category of I only, if only I knew then what I know now, I count my awareness that I can discern what is just and have the right to require it. When we are at the end of our rope with a relationship, we might cry, rage, or in some way try to impress to our partner how deeply we are hurt. This is meant to motivate them to change, and we're shocked when they just dig deeper or rage back. The truth is that we're throwing ourselves on their mercy rather than having mercy and justice ourselves. We spend all our energy trying to get them to change when the one and only person we have the power to change is ourselves. We decide that we are going to do, change things and what we require in order to stay. Only you can discern things that need to change and take action to make that happen. A woman attending one of my retreats said that the gift she received from the weekend was a brand new awareness that she had the power to set boundaries in her relationship with her husband. She could balance love and assertiveness. She had taken some reflection time to walk and write in her journal the three things that needed to change if she was going to stay in her marriage. She saw the ways that she was colluding with her husband's overspending, abusive language, and refusal to clean up after himself. She realized that by practicing love and assertiveness, she could stop feeling helpless, begging, nagging, and crying to get him to change. She decided to take three actions. First, she would open her own checking account and deposit her paycheck into it deciding what she would place in the family account and contributing to a savings account each month rather than dumping all she earned in the family account for her husband to spend with abandon. Secondly, she would ask her husband to speak to her respectfully and immediately walk away if he chose not to. Third, she would wash only what he put in the hamper piling anything he left lying around in a plastic bag in their closet. She later told me that the combination of focusing on her husband's positive virtues and her new boundaries had utterly transformed their relationship. Assertiveness allows us to stand strong without overpowering someone or allowing them to disempower us. It is asserting in a positive way what we need. If I'm going to stay in this marriage, there are things that must change. This is what I'm going to do differently. What else do you need from me to help this happen? This is very different from the manipulative attitude of, if you don't change, I'm leaving. It is taking a stand that you need to treat each other respectfully and fairly. When you do this, you're raising the context to the level of principle, of virtue, rather than condemning the character of your partner. One time when I was struggling in my marriage, I decided to give a workshop on codependence, the syndrome of living through and for another, enmeshing yourself in that person's life putting up with, and covering up addiction and dysfunction. I opened the workshop by saying, this is my first workshop on codependence, but don't worry, I'm an expert on codependence because I am an expert codependent. I'm giving this workshop because I need to take it. I've learned through years of struggling to distinguish my spiritual work from my husband's work. To distinguish between responsibility and control. Whose power do you carry? Whose issues do you focus on? We must not carry what is not ours to carry, because we are, because while we are busy trying to control or protect or change someone else, our own spiritual work will languish. Having the courage and assertiveness to set clear boundaries with our time, energy, and relationships is a powerful way to sustain a pace of grace and lead our lives as we choose. Exercise Grace Set Three Boundaries Take a look at your first exercise of grace in Chapter 1. What stresses you and what blesses you? This is key to discovering the boundaries you need to create in your life. Observe the activities that, if you set limits on them, would really help you conserve your energy and enjoy your life more. During your quiet time, reflect and journal about how effective your boundaries are in the three areas of time, energy, and money. Think about where you feel the greatest energy drain and begin there. Is it overspending? Is it wasting too much time on the phone? Is it allowing constant interruptions in your work? Do you need to schedule personal time? Do you need to be a more assertive disciplinarian with your children? Make a start by setting three clear boundaries. Word them positively. Word them in the present tense. I am, not I will. Include a virtue, the language of your personal power. For example, respect. I'm willing to continue conversations only when they remain respectful. That was number one. Number two, moderation. I screen my calls and keep each call to 10 minutes. Number three, joy. One hour a day is mine to do whatever I want, as long as it brings me joy. Summary of Chapter 10, Set Clear Boundaries. Be the architect of your own time. Commit to a gentle pace. You deserve it. Discover your natural boundaries and lead your life accordingly. Reduce the time you spend with people and activities that drain you. Choose what sustains you. Avoid telephone tyranny. Decide when you want to be available. Realize that trying to be everything to everyone, the E-type personality, may cost you your health and your life. Put people first and protect your family time. Create clear boundaries to make family life run smoothly. I'm going to repeat that because I read it completely wrong. Create clear ground rules to make family life run smoothly. Create boundaries for yourself within your intimate relationships. Never give your power away. Establish your balancing virtues. They are your holy ground. As you explore the boundaries you want to set in your life, There is another essential element to consider, time for play. The next chapter focuses on play as the balancing element that keeps our spirits beating gently, nurtures our relationships, and feeds our spirit. I read that wrong too. I'm going to read that last sentence again. The next chapter focuses on play as the balancing element that keeps our hearts beating gently, nurtures our relationships, and feeds our spirits.